0: All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. That's where we're going to be today. So we're going to take chapter 4 and break it up into two, two sermons. Um, and here's the thing. It could be very easily one sermon because the whole chapter addresses the same issue. Uh, but we thought it's just going to be way too many points to make um, in one sermon. So we're, we're cutting it in half, basically doing verse 1 to 6 today and then the second half uh, next Sunday. Uh, but the context for this passage leads right into or right out of, I should say, uh, what chapter three and even part of chapter two have been addressing. And, and that's, that's this issue, this idea of hope. That's the whole thing that Paul's talking about. Now, we got to remember in the broader context of 2 Corinthians, Paul has been very open and he's going to continue to be very open about his own personal struggles, the, the difficulties he has uh, that he's facing with persecution, with hunger, with uh, health things, with all kinds of stuff. Like Back in chapter 1, he talked about how uh, they, had, they had experienced so much affliction in Asia that him and his, uh, his comrades there uh, were, were despairing of life itself. Um, this was not an easy season for Paul. Paul is writing this letter from, uh, from Asia somewhere, probably Ephesus, um, and he's sending this letter to the, to the church in Corinth, and he's recording for them some of the personal experiences he's had and the hardships he's faced. And so even in the midst of that, of of despairing of life, he says, "There's there's hope," and that's the whole context of this book. That's why we're calling it "afflicted but not crushed," which is actually a line he uses in the next section of this same chapter. We'll see this next week, um, but that's where we get the title for this this sermon series because that's the whole thing: is we are we may be afflicted, but we're not crushed. We have hope. And, and, and back in chapter 3, verse 12, which uh, Ray preached for us last Sunday, I was down in Kenosha at my my wife's family's church, and they're going through some really hard things, so I went down and just encouraged them and filled the pulpit for them. Uh, it's a good trip. A lot of you have asked me about it, um, but I'm glad to be back, and I don't want to go back down there in any, anytime soon, but... Um, but I'm, I'm glad I was able to go. But Ray preached a great sermon. I didn't get to hear it in person, but I listened to it online. And um, in, in verse 12, Paul writes here, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. All right. so this whole idea of, of hope is the, is the overarching theme of Paul's section in this letter. But the question we've got to ask is, where does this hope come from? Where do we get this hope? And, and that's uh, really going to be where he dig, digs into—that's uh, the issue he's digging into in this chapter, um, in chapter 4, is this idea of hope. In, in the broader um, message, he's talking about hope coming from the ministry of the Spirit, right, in chapter 3, We have the ministry of the Spirit, this comforter who comes to us, that this ministry which is accomplished for us through the new covenant of Christ, through his work and his his perfect life and his sinless death and his bodily resurrection, that that gospel of of the new covenant is where our hope comes from ultimately. And and that's where he's going to just continue to drill into this. So what Paul's going to deal with in chapter 4 is piggybacking off of what he's already talked about. And um, the whole theme is don't lose heart. There's hope. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't, don't call it in. And, and I just think we've got we to look at what he has to say to us because the Spirit of God can minister to us so well today, if, especially if we're in a place where we feel like we're going to lose heart if we feel like we're in a place of discouragement. If you're discouraged today, it's not unexpected. It's actually probably normal to be discouraged in days like these. I feel like every political season uh, derives um, you know, its fuel on creating despair. Like Everybody wants you to think that whoever wins is going to destroy the country. And that's, what, that's, what they, that's the message, right? So, so all we're hearing is Joe Biden's going to destroy the country or Donald Trump is going to destroy the country. And maybe they'll both destroy the country. I mean, who knows, right? The, but, but God is in charge of who's in charge. God's in charge of who's in charge. Let's remember that. But when we're swimming in this season of, of uh, politics especially, it becomes so just inundated all the time. We're hearing it all the time. It's just white noise. And it can be very easy to be discouraged, so what Paul was dealing with 2,000 years ago wasn't the exact same things that we're dealing with now. We could probably argue he dealt with things that were far worse than ours. Um, but, but nonetheless, he's going to speak into this question of why we should not lose heart, why we should not let discouragement get the best of us. Why should we keep moving forward towards Jesus regardless of what outcomes may may uh, arise in the coming months. How do we keep pressing on towards Jesus? And that's that's where chapter 4 is going to go. He's going to give us, in this whole chapter, he's going to give us eight reasons why we should not lose heart. Um, Eight reasons. So we're going to look at the first four today. Like I said, we're going to tackle this kind of in two parts. Um, Chapter 4 gives us a total of eight Today, we're going to look at the first four, and then next week, we'll look at the last four. But let's just go it, it, just right into it. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. All right, so there's that idea of hope, of, of not giving in, of not of not freaking out, uh, of being able to to continue pressing in towards Jesus regardless of circumstances. And he says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So let's just unpack that for a moment. What does he mean by this ministry? He says, therefore, having this ministry. What does that mean? What ministry is he talking about? Is he is he just talking about his apostolic ministry as one of the apostles of Jesus? I I don't think so. I don't think that that's the, the context here. I think he's talking to the to the broader church, right? To the Corinthians, and I don't think he's just speaking about his own personal ministry, but he's speaking about the ministry that every Christian has, um, which as we've as we've already seen in the last couple of chapters, just following the tra- trajectory of Paul's argument, I think what he's talking about is uh, this ministry that is this life-giving. New covenant, glory-revealing, character-transforming ministry of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus. I think that's what he's trying to help us understand, is that because we have this amazing thing that God has given us, we don't lose heart. We have this life-giving new covenant through Christ. We have this glory-revealing, character-transforming ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if if that's all true, then how in the world could we lose heart? If God is actually for us and not against us, if God is actually working in us and through us, then then of course the conclusion is we're not going to lose heart. And that's where we need to continue to set our eyes. We need to continue to look to him. Now, um, uh, in this first verse, we see Paul's first reason for for this hope. Look at it. It's in the first sentence. It says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Here's where, We've got to lean. The mercy of God is why we don't lose heart. We have this ministry, this this amazing, life-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit that that Paul unpacks in chapter 3. We have this ministry, and this is a mercy. This is mercy from God. It's, It's an amazing thing to think about. Because if we understand God's mercy, we will we will have a very hard time giving up and calling it quits. Here's what this means. It means that your life right now, and and we're going to see even more of this uh, next week. He's going to really dig into this next week. But your life right now, in fact, everything in your life, and that means especially the terrible things in your life. Like that's where he's going to go in the next section. But all the things that are in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that's in our lives right now as followers of Jesus is the mercy of God. Can you believe that? I don't know, it's hard to believe that. But it's true that everything that's going on is the mercy of God because he brings the things to us to help shape us and and mold us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. The, the things that we, that we go through, even the hard things that we go through, I think especially the hard things we go through, are, are instruments in God's hands to make us more like Jesus and, and give us opportunity to share the good news about Jesus with others. So, so I think we, we need to recognize that the first thing that, God, that, that Paul is calling us to see and that the Spirit is working in us here is that it's the mercy of God that produces a life that doesn't give up. In fact, when we understand biblical theology and we understand the order of salvation and how things happen for us, um, all of our salvation, everything about our salvation is mercy. Mercy. Paul makes this point in in Ephesians chapter 2, which I'll read for you. You don't have to turn there. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul just talks about um, that we were were basically separated from Christ. We were apart from Him. We were spiritually dead without Him. And then in verse 4, it says, but God, catch this, God being rich in mercy... Rich in mercy. He's not poor in mercy. He he doesn't just have a little bit of mercy for you. he's, He's got the riches of mercy. God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We could keep going and going in these amazing verses, but the point that Paul tries to draw our hearts to is this, that the very salvation we possess is not by us. It's not our doing. It's not our accomplishments. It's the very mercy of God. And I think it's it's in that mercy that keeps us from losing heart. It's recognizing that everything we have, and, and as Paul's going to explain later in this chapter, even the horrible things that we experience in this sinful world are ultimately used by God to bring about his purposes and his plan for us. I, I think there's just something we need to reflect on there. That, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where you're at on this. I don't know what your thoughts are about this, but, but man, the, the mercy of God is the best anchor that your soul can cling to. In the storms of life, there's a there's a song uh, by a band called City of Light. They're a worship band from a church in Australia. Um, we sing some of their songs here. Uh, we don't sing this one yet, but we probably will at some point. Um, but I, I just found this song recently, and it was uh, man, it's just really good. Like the lyrics are just really helpful. It's a song that's just called Grace, and I think it puts into some perspective what this mercy that we're talking about looks like. And here's some of the lines to it. It says, your, your grace that leads the sinner home from death to life forever and sings the song of righteousness by blood and not by merit. And so we're, we're saved because Jesus died on the cross for us, not because we earned it, And then it says, your grace that reaches far and wide to every tribe and nation has called my heart to enter in the joy of your salvation. And The chorus is this, by grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored, and now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord. I I think that you know, we could keep reading all these lines that are all gold, but man, that just just brings together the point of the gospel, that we don't earn this. This is all mercy, that our whole lives are the result of the mercy of God for us on undeserved sinners like me. So that's the first point, right, that we have this mercy, this ministry by the mercy of God. And so Paul says, therefore, we don't lose heart. But that's not the only thing he talks about. Let's keep reading. Verse 2 says this, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. All right, so here's the second thing that Paul points us to for our hope. And I'll, do, and I'll paraphrase it this way. Uh, it is the pure and unmanipulated word of God. The pure and unmanipulated word of God. That's what Paul's talking about, right? He says in verse two, he says, we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. In other words, he says, that we're not manipulating you. We're not trying to, to, to trick you. We're not trying to bait and switch you. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not, I'm not a politician, I'm not a politician. I'm just bringing you the the true word of God. I'm bringing you God's word without tampering with it, without messing with it, without manipulating it, without changing it. We're we're just bringing you God's word. And what is is Paul's point in that? Why why is he saying that to the Corinthians? Why does he want them to, to know that that's the case? Why does he why is he so concerned that they understand that he's not twisting things around but he's just giving them God's word in clarity well it's because the word of god the scriptures are in their unadulterated pure form they are god's greatest resource to us for hope they are our greatest resource for hope Th- this book is all good news for us if we're in Jesus. There's some bad news in here for those who aren't in Jesus. Yes, that's true. But for people who trust in Jesus, there is nothing but good news in this book for us. We get to hear God speak through these words. It's an amazing thing. I hear it all the time from people that when they read the Bible, it's like they actually are hearing God. Imagine that. Because that's what it is. We're hearing him speak to us. The Old Testament and the New Testament are equally uh, God's word and equally valuable, equally profitable. The Bible says that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is profitable. And so that's why we teach Old Testament books, that's why we teach New Testament books. We're, we're a Bible church in that, in the best sense of the word. Because that's what, that's where our hope is. That's where this is the greatest resource for our hope. But listen, coming to church on Sunday morning and hearing a sermon is wonderful and good and you need that in your life. We all do. But you also need this every day. You need it every day. You need to be in it yourself. You need to open it up and read it. You need to soak it into your heart. You need to let God speak a clear word to you every single day. And you'll be amazed at what God says to you, even things that you don't expect him to say, he will tell you as you read the word of God, as you make a habit of it, as you continue to sit under it. And I know that's hard. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's not hard. I get, you know, I don't mean this in any kind of weird way. I just, I'm going to say it. I, I get paid to study the Bible, okay? That's my job. I get it. That's not your job. Most of you don't get paid to do this. And I still have a hard time reading the Bible for my own soul. I think every pastor you meet, if they're honest, and a lot of them aren't honest about it because we have answers we've got to give, right? We just have to sort of pretend like it's all good. But if if you talk to an honest pastor, they would tell you they probably stink at reading their Bible just as much as you do. And that's true, right? Because we're humans and we live in a distracting world. But let me just ask you this question, just to to ponder it, just to think through it. Um, I've had to ask myself this question even this week. How much of a difference do you think it would make if you listened to God's voice through his word more than you listened to the million other voices in your life? What kind of difference do you think it would make if the first thing you did or the last thing you did before going to sleep was to read this rather than checking the news endlessly on on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else? What, what kind of difference do you think your life would have? And I'm asking that for myself, too, because I... I scroll through endless news apps on my phone. It's so easy to do. It's so simple to just have this little computer in my pocket that lets me look at everything at any time, right? And that's where we live. Um, and, and I have Bible apps on my phone too. And yet, uh, for some reason, I'm not drawn to open those constantly like I am the other things. You're probably there too. So, but we got to ask, like, what difference do you think it would make in your life? if you actually let God speak to you more than everyone else? It might be hard to consider because how in the world would we do that? Um, but let's just think through it. Right? How, how much time in a day or a week do you listen to God's voice? Most of us could probably say not, not much or at least not as much as we should. Um, how much time do we spend reading God's word versus being on the news, like I said, or checking social media? If we added up all the time we spent doing other things, we would realize we don't have a time problem for God's word. We have a motivation problem. It's true. It's hard, it's hard truth, but it's true. We don't have problems with time. Uh, like I don't know what kind of phone you have, but I've got an iPhone, and and the iPhone tells me every week it gives me an update on how much time I looked at the screen. It's got a screen time thing. It's so discouraging. I turned it off for a long time because I was like, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to know this. I just recently turned it back on. I'm gonna be honest. This is this is honesty, honesty to you. Okay, today's report: three and a half hours on average a day staring at my phone. <laughs> I, just this morning, I got that. That's disgusting. <laughs> and 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 I think, and I've actually tried to be pretty good about not looking at my phone. And I'm like, wow, I'm still terrible at that. So, wow, three and a half hours of of mindlessly looking at something on my phone. Th- that's on average every day of the week. That's discouraging. But it's good to know because now I can say, well, let's try not to do that. Now here's the thing: I'm not a legalist. Okay? (laughs) I am not going to prescribe to you how much time you should spend reading your Bible. I'm not going to say, while you spend three and a half hours looking at your phone, spend three and a half hours every day reading your Bible. That would be great and good and really helpful for me, yes. But listen, we can't put things, uh, rules and attachments and all these other things, and think that that's going to draw us to Jesus. No, we need to see Jesus change our motives. So I'm not a legalist. I'm not going to tell you how much time to spend reading your Bible. But listen, it is common sense to suggest to you that if we listen to God more than we listen to the news or anything else, we'd have a more hopeful outlook on life. We just would. I think that's true. And I'm saying that to myself as much as I'm saying it to to each of you, because some of you are probably much better with not looking at your phone. And uh, some of you might be worse than me at looking at your phone. But we're all in this world, nonetheless, that is distracting. And and there are millions of competing things. So I'm not going to prescribe to you how to do it or how much time to spend in it. I'm just going to encourage you to be in it, to be in God's word, to, to see him speak into your life because it's, it's going to help you. It's going to help me as we do it. The, the pure, untampered with word of God is, one of our, is our truly greatest resource for hope. That's the second point. Third, let's look at verse 3. Uh, 3 through, I think, 5. We'll go, with, we'll go with that. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Okay. Here's the third point, if you're taking notes or wanting to log this away. um, The third reason we don't give up, according to this passage, is because life is not about us. It's about Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to help us understand. That your life and my life is not about me, it's not about you, it's about Christ that he is the center of everything, not us. So he starts in verse 3 here. Paul talks about this gospel being veiled or, or not seen clearly, especially by those who are perishing. So that's how Paul would refer to people who are not trusting in Jesus at this point in time. And and he says that those people are blinded to the light of the gospel. That they're blinded to this amazing story of Jesus. But even though that's true, that there are people who are blinded to Jesus and they don't see him for who he is, even though that's true, Paul's amazing point in verse 5 is that he's not going to give up on preaching the gospel, even though there are people who don't believe it and won't believe it. Verse 5 says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. It's not us. It's Christ Jesus as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So so Paul pivots away from the discouragement of unbelief in the world around him to say, well, well, that's a whole other thing that God's got to figure out. right? These people are blinded and God's got to open up their eyes. And, and that's not my deal. Like It's not my job or your job to get someone to believe in Jesus. It's Jesus's job to get them there. And we can trust that he will get them there if that's his will. And that's, and, and at some point in their life, Lord willing, he will do that. But uh, it's not about us. And we, so we shouldn't be discouraged in, in life when things aren't going as well as we would hope because life is ultimately about Jesus. Let me share you a, a story. Just This happened a couple weeks ago when uh, Chris, who preached a few weeks back, was here. He's preparing to plant a church in, uh, in Michigan. He was here with me for about a week and a half. He's kind of learning, uh, basically just shadowing me. I mean, that was all he did. It's kind of weird, uh, but that's what his guys wanted him to do. <coughs> so, uh, he hung out with me for, for about a week and a half. And one of those days, we went over to the, to the park by the, um, the disc golf stuff here in town. He, he likes that, and I'm fine with it, so whatever. Uh, so we went out, and as we got ready to go, there, it's just the two of us at first. And at, just as we're about to kind of throw off our first discs here, this guy comes up from behind us and says, hey, can I join you? never saw the guy before. I don't know if I'll ever see him again, but he, he comes up and he's like, can I just come along with you? And in, as Chris and I had talked about it afterwards, we were both like, we both thought had the same thought. Like this guy has no idea what he's getting himself into. <laughs> he's he's going to disc golf for two hours with, uh, with two pastors. This is not going to go well for him. Um, but we said, yeah, of course, come on, come on. And we spent two hours with this guy. And you know, at first, you know, you're just kind of having casual conversation or whatever. And, and then you start to try, you know, when you're trying to share Jesus with somebody, which is, you know, what I usually try to do if, if the opportunity's there, is there, you try to find a way to get into it. So the first thing I asked was, well, what do you do? What is, what's your job? You know, and because and, that normally leads to him telling me that and then asking me what I do, which is I'm a pastor. And then boom, just, you know, like get get there. Well, he doesn't really answer the question what he does. So I was like, okay. He's like, I don't do much. I was like, okay, let's try another tactic. And so then Chris, uh, later on, you know, a couple holes down, we, Chris is like, oh, do you have, you have a family? And he said, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple kids. He's like, oh, okay, are you married? And he says, nope. Um, but it's only because uh, all the pastors are too scared to marry people during COVID. So I said, well, I'm a pastor. I could talk to you about that. And boom, just went from there. for the next for the next hour and a half, that guy asked me probably every question he has ever had about Jesus in his whole life, and he never got a straight answer from anybody. And so I just gave him straight answers. And uh, it was an amazing thing how the Lord just opened that door, right? and but here's the thing. at the end of that that round of disc golf, He did not fall on his knees and beg Jesus to be his savior. He didn't. He was still cynical, uh, still disbelieving, still claimed to be an agnostic or whatever it is he would say he is. Uh, Nothing changed in that regard. But what's my hope for that guy? Is it that I should have done a better job of sharing the gospel with him? Well, I, I think I can say honestly, like, I shared it as clearly as I know how to. Is it that I didn't do a good enough job, that he didn't come to faith in Christ at that moment? Or is it that Jesus has a plan for that man's life? Whatever that is, whatever that looks like, Jesus is going to take what we, what we Chris and I, planted in this guy's heart and shared with him truths that hopefully, maybe even 10 years from now will come to fruition. I don't know. But the point is that it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so I, I want to say that to you guys too. Like you, As you share Christ with people that you work with or your neighbors with or you, you have uh, friendships with, you may not get the results you hope for, but the, the answer to our, to our hope is not in, in how they respond to us. It's in, in trusting that Jesus is going to do something to to bring that person to faith, or or perhaps, not, which is obviously not an a, you know the the outcome we want and hope for, but we we have to recognize that it's Jesus who's in charge. And here's the thing: this is super freeing. It's freeing because it's it it, it allows us to get over ourselves. It lets us get over ourselves. It. it It doesn't matter, ultimately, whether people like me or like you. It doesn't matter whether they view me as successful or as you you as successful. It doesn't matter if we're recognized or not. All that matters is Jesus. And we keep going because it's all about him. We keep going because it's all about him. All right, last point, verse 6. Last verse, last point for today. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, Here's the fourth reason we don't lose heart. It's that we have the light of Christ. We have the light of Christ given to us by the very God who created the world. Notice what Paul's saying here. He first quotes from Genesis 1.1, or at least he, he says it's a, it's a direct quotation in Paul's mind, although our translations would say, God said, let there be light. Paul's saying, God said, let light shine out of darkness. I mean means the same thing. I mean, who knows what translation Paul's working off of, right? But um, what Paul's saying here is this, that the very God who spoke everything in the world into existence out of nothing, by the way, right? Like we can create things, but we always have to start with something. We can't create something out of nothing. God is the only one who can do that. God who created the world out of nothing has spoken into our hearts and have made us alive. Here's what's good news about this. Whatever darkness you are walking in right now, that darkness has nothing on the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The darkness of our world is not dark to him. The darkness in your life is not too dark for him to invade it with his light, with the light of Christ. See, we need to behold the light of Christ if we're going to have hope in the world. We need to walk by the light of Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus talks about this very thing, in verse 12, he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, and I, I think there's just such, there's such glory in that for us to behold. That Jesus would be the light that we need to walk by. That Jesus would be all the light that we need in this dark world. This is, a, this is all mercy. This is all from him. This is all because of him. But we get to just experience him through the, through the light of the gospel. That this God who would create the world would care enough about you as, a, as an individual person, to speak life into your hearts through Jesus. That's astounding. So as we co- close today, and we'll pick up where we leave off here next week, um, let's just think about this. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you thanked God for these gifts of grace? When was the last time you, you intentionally spoke to God and, and thanked him For his mercy, for his word, for him, just him. We have him. What greater gift can we ask for? When was the last time you or I, I'm speaking to myself here too, when was the last time we thanked God for the kindness that he has towards us in setting up our life the way it is right now? I know if we're walking in a really hard season and we're not super happy with where we're at, it's hard to thank God or it's even harder to see the kindness of God in these hard things. But don't forget these hard things are used by God in your life. When was the last time you thanked God for setting up your life the way it is? I know you might not like it the way it is, It doesn't change the fact, though, that Jesus puts you where you are. And it doesn't change the fact that his mercy is for you, even when you can't see it. I think we just need to rest and reflect on these things. If we're going to keep moving towards hope in the person of Christ, we've got to continue to reflect on his mercy. We've got to continue to soak in his word. We need to continue to pivot away from ourselves to him and we need to continue to live in the light that he is for us in the dark world we live in. And I just want to encourage you with those things today and next week we'll, we'll keep carrying on in this same, uh, same vein. So let me pray for you and then we'll continue to worship today. Uh, Jesus, we are so grateful to you um, that you would be merciful We want to thank you, Lord, that you would set up our lives just the way you have. I know that's not always easy for us to say because our lives aren't always what we want them to be. And we know that our lives are far from what they should be. And yet you've brought us here. You have led us here, and we thank you for that. I pray you would would draw us to thankfulness um, in each of our hearts today, no matter what. And Lord, may we just see you for who you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.